Welcome to the Soul's Way podcast. This is your host, Emily Ann Brandt. I am a proud First Nations Mohawk author, speaker, and mentor here to meet you at the intersection of personal development and decolonization. I truly believe that when we see ourselves and one another, mind, body, emotion, and most of all, soul and spirit, we can break through systematic, ancestral, and generational ways of being that we came here to disrupt and rise above. We can lean into the ways that heal our spirits. I know we can do this through honest conversations, radical responsibility, and healing together in community. Through my stories and the incredible conversations with some truly amazing guests, my hope is that you leave each episode with a more open heart and that you feel emboldened in your medicine and your voice, knowing your ripple effect matters. Our ripple effect matters. Thank you for being here. Let's dive in. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Soul's Way podcast. Today, I have another conversation that I want you to hear that um, I had with my friend. Her name is Rave, and she just reached out to me after seeing all of my posts and my speaking out about our experiences as Indigenous people and people in the global majority or people of color in the navigating the coaching space and as a half Filipino, half white woman, she really resonated with a lot of what I was sharing. So she asked if I would just want to hop on Zoom, have a conversation and both of us could share it to our podcasts because we're going to talk about um, in this conversation, we talk about investing, spending, what it's like spending money, what money mindset is like specifically for those of us um, in the global majority and from various backgrounds, what what it's like navigating the coaching industry, and so many juicy gems in between. So I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation um, regardless of what, what background you are from. If you're a white woman, if you are um, a person in the global majority, if you're mixed ancestry, I think there's really something in here for everyone. And it's about all of us leaning in and learning how we can just operate with a little more consideration, a little more compassion, and just keep improving this beautiful industry that is personal development, coaching, spirituality, wellness, all these amazing things, but make it decolonized and make it more inclusive. So so without further ado, enjoy this conversation with my friend, Rave Reed. You're going to love her. Hello. Hey. Hi, Emily. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So good to hear you. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this podcast swap with me. I know you're not feeling 100%, but I mean, you look great. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I'm starting to finally feel human again. So that's good. Hopefully we should be good. Like hopefully my voice and everything should be fine for today. Can you hear me? Okay. I guess you obviously can. Yeah, yeah, your voice sounds beautiful. So do you want to talk yeah. about our experiences just being, yeah. you know, women of color and coaching containers and our experiences? And maybe we can just start out by sharing how we met. We met in a mastermind together. And like I was sharing with you earlier, um, you know, it was my first time investing a lot of money and Um, I'm not sure if it was how you felt, you know, going into that, or if it was, if you've spent a lot of money in coaching before. Mm -hmm. It was not my first time it was, but it was, uh, it was still a big deal for sure. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. a big deal, but I had done a similar level mastermind, similar level investment one time before. Um, but you still get, you still get those like freakouts, the nervous system, all of that when you're spending such an amount of money on 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 yourself and on coaching, which we know as, you know, indigenous people and and BIPOC or people of color, it's it's kind of like a whole different ball game because of all the extra layers, the money stories and things that can come up. But yeah. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Like for you, how did you get to a point to feel comfortable and like saying yes and like clicking on the link and like 
sending the payment, like what was that like for you to finally feel like it was the right decision? Yeah, um, I think for me, it's just, it was a strong, it, I always get these strong feelings um, in my intuition when like I'm meant to be in a certain group or space where I just can't, I can't let it go. So I'll like wake up thinking about the thing and I'll go mm. to bed thinking about the thing and I'll sometimes even like dream about it. And I like to, now I've learned the lesson of like giving myself some time to sit with it um, versus making an emotional decision in the moment. Um, and this was one of those things that I did. I kind of sat with it for, um, I mean, it felt like a while, but it was probably only like two or three days, but it would not leave me alone. And I just knew I was supposed to be in there. So um, when I did decide to go for it, like it was terrifying and it didn't make sense. And I was like, what am I doing? But also I, tr I tr built this trust with myself that I've, I've done this before and I can always, you know, make the money back. And I just have built that trust by actually doing it um, and proving to myself that one way or another, like I'll be okay and I'll pay this back. So that's kind of how I came to the yes. What was it like for you though, especially being your first time? investing yeah I know so thinking back I'm like I think I, it was the same thing like I reached out I think she had a poll or something on her story and I reached out and then I just kept wanting more information and the information she was telling me I was like okay like I was sitting with it and then I kept asking more questions you know and I think yeah it just wouldn't go away there's just something in my body that was like oh my gosh like I need to do this for myself and it felt really scary really exciting I wanted to throw up like all the things at once I was like I just found her like I think I just found her yeah same I had social to. media <laughs> yeah I was like what am I doing this is crazy um but yeah I'm really glad that I that I did it and I love that you mentioned like so making an emotional decision versus sitting with it for a while. Like I know there's like quite a few coaches that say like, Oh, nothing changes within 24 hours. So like do mm. it now, like make the decision now. And sometimes no. I'm like, I get that. And like, I've believed that before too, but like, also I think it depends on where you're at, like with your nervous system, with your yes. experience, your relationship with money. But also like when you, sometimes I do get also, like if you do sit with it for too long, like if you aren't, working on your emotional intelligence or yeah. like strong and like who you are and your confidence, like every day that goes by, you can, I can see how you can also be like, no, well this and that you like make up all these excuses and like, yeah. keep pushing it away. So like, I get both sides, but like, I'm curious, like what you think yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. Same. I see both sides, but I do see a lot of that, um, that push in the industry where it's like, do the thing that doesn't make logical sense. And there's all this pressure around like doing the illogical thing because supposedly like your intuition never makes log logical sense and you just have to follow it and it makes sense later. Um, and that's true. Our intuition's not logical, but sometimes it's like, is it, <laughs> is it not logical because it's our intuition or is it not logical because it's not logical? It's not the right decision for me at this time. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for my nervous system. It's not healthy. And that coach is just pressuring me by saying, I'm pressuring everyone by saying, you have to do the things that don't make sense. You have to, you know, quantum leap first and invest crazy amounts. And I invested this, this X amount. Um, and then I made, you know, 50 times my money back in two weeks or whatever happened for them. Like everyone's journey mm -hmm. is different everyone's nervous system is in a different place. And especially what we see, um, which I'm excited to talk with you about today is the ignoring of how those of us who are um, from the global majority, which is a term to replace BIPOC, black indigenous people of color, because we actually make up the global majority, yet we're still treated like minorities. Um, mm -hmm. Those of us <laughs> from the global majority, we have more, trauma naturally like in our dna in our bones and our nervous systems can be more um like they can go into shock more easily and they can go into distress more easily or they might already be in those states um and that's so just completely ignored and not talked about in this industry almost at all and especially when it comes to making decisions around 
investing. That's something we just don't consider like cultural influences, trauma, um, very real actual 3D barriers as well. Like I work in um, indigenous health research and seeing like coming face to face with the actual facts about our poverty levels, our homelessness levels, um, food insecurity, job insecurity, like these are things I can't unsee, but so many people choose not to see them or choose to say like, they don't matter and mindset and energy is all that matters. But um, there really is actual barriers to wealth, barriers to health, like barriers to basic education that are also at play too, that don't get talked about. So I think like every person is different and these are all factors that need to be considered from both the person selling and the person who's buying. Yeah, I love that. And I guess a little disclaimer for both of our audiences, like, you know, I'm half white and then you're also, we're both pretty white passing. So like yeah. we love, mm -hmm. we accept all, you know, humans of color and we're not wanting to downgrade anyone's experience and say that we don't like white people or something like that. I like, don't want that to come across at all. Um, but yeah, just yeah. that how, you know, people from other backgrounds can be less privileged. Right. And yeah, I love that you mentioned that. And like, how do we, how do we include more humans of color, you know, in our containers, because I will be honest, like the first few spaces that I had, um, in my group programs, you know, I, I did notice that I was like, oh my gosh, everyone in my space here is white. And, you know, granted I was just starting out, maybe I, there was some language that I could have used to be more inclusive, but I remember noticing that and be like, I really want women like even specifically I'm really feeling called to work with more Filipino women because mm -hmm. I'm half Filipino and you know I think the more I speak about it the more I, I've received those kind of clients right. right but I'm like oh my goodness like I know I know personally like what that culture is like and like what that upbringing is like to hear certain phrases and like how much of the money mindset work there is in that so yeah yeah I guess I'm just like how do we be more welcoming and more including yeah. of, of other women of color? Yeah, I mean, so this is a huge <laughs> question and this is literally the work that I'm doing now um, because I'm, I'm so passionate about it. But I think first of all, like to answer your question, if, if you are, you know, you're Filipino and just you talking about that more is gonna obviously bring more Filipinos or even Asians who see themselves in you or people who are mixed race. Like if you're talking about um, being mixed or even things like I've started talking more about how I'm white passing or I'm half white and I'm half indigenous. And there's people who are, they're not indigenous, but they're mixed race. And they're like, oh my gosh, I see myself in you. Thank you for talking about it. And like, how can I work with you? Or like, do you wanna come on my podcast? How can we collaborate? And like, I think that's why you and I are having this conversation right now too, is because you connected to a lot of what I was saying about, you know, being indigenous, being a person of the global majority and navigating this industry, feeling underrepresented. So it's like, first of all, be the representation um, that you wanna see and just speak about it more. But if you're, if you're listening to this and you're white, so you're like, well, I can't, <laughs> I can't represent and I can't pretend to represent because I am white. Um, then how do you do this? So there's a lot of things you can do. The bar is really so low, Rave. It's kind of sad. Like the bar is actually quite low, literally. Yeah, I've noticed. You... And I want to say like, whoever is listening, you need to go look at Emily's page because I mean, I was like, dang, your posts are spicy, but it like, <laughs> they it, are was, spicy. like every... it was like what <laughs> I've been like thinking. It's like I, what mm, I noticed, yeah. it was like, you are brave enough to say the thing and like, in such a loving way though, you know, like it's eye-catching, but it's also like in such a compassionate, you know, heartfelt way that I, it really stood out to me. And that's why I reached out to you to do a podcast together. Cause I'm like, wow, like I am so open to learning and I'm so noticing that in, in these spaces and, you know, like I really want to make sure we have diversity and you're really leading the way, which I'm so proud of you. And like, so in all of you and the work that you're doing. 
Thank you so much. Um, yeah, this is what I this is what I share all over my page, and I have I have a two and a half hour uh, masterclass called the Roundtable, where I literally invited. Um, you can purchase the replay. I invited white coaches and people in the community from um, like in the coaching world who are also in the global majority. Um, and we had a panel and I gave a, like an over an hour long presentation on specifically like how white dominance and white supremacy and colonization shows up in coaching and what we can do like actual tangible steps that you can do as a coach to make your spaces more inclusive and supportive. So like, obviously we don't have time to cover every single thing here, but like I was saying, the bar is literally so low because so few people are thinking about it and doing it that literally, even if a coach took like five minutes out of their day and acknowledged their white privilege or highlighted an issue for the indigenous community or just even mentioned something like call us in by name mentioned something about um you know her sisters and brothers in the global majority um uh, maybe it's offering some type of scholarship but that also has to be backed with the coach doing their own unlearning and and, and learning to understand why that's important to understand like the barriers that really do exist um, and how they can, how do they are actively playing a role or how they can play a role in being part of the solution. Um, so it's like, there's learning, there's three pieces. There's the mindset and the coach doing their own learning and unlearning and relearning. And then there's words, there's the words you speak. They hold a lot of power. They're gonna make a big difference in who feels safe and comfortable working with you and who does not. And I'm telling you as an indigenous person, when you come to my page, like I'm telling you, um, and Rave can tell you the types of things that make us feel safe or not safe. Um, so listen to those of us who are telling you. And, and then action, like, are you, are you putting things into action? So are you putting things like scholarships out there? Are you actively going out of your way to hire people in the global majority? Or did you, did you not even stop to notice and you just keep hiring white team members and more white mentors and white VAs and white photographers? Um, or are you actively seeking out people in the global majority, paying, pay them what they want and then tip them, you know, like be generous, be, be part of this solution. And um, it, all of those things will show and you will start to attract a much different, more diverse audience. And that's something everyone should want to tap into, because like I said, we're the global majority. We're, we're over 80% of the population. So why would you not want to tap into that market? It just it just makes good business sense and that's funny because i always think of myself as you know we say i'm the minority, minority. yeah <laughs> well i guess that's how it is and in, in, i was went to a private school and like you know the friends that i have i'm always like oh my gosh everyone around me is white and i'm the minority but i guess we get so used to saying that but when you put it that way like 80 percent, oh my gosh we really are the majority the global majority so, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting to think of it like that. And what you're saying about scholarships, I want to talk about that a little bit because I that yeah. I still offer that. And it's something that I I'm not really sure like how what you think about it and like what's the right way to go about it. Because I will be honest, and I've talked yeah. about this on my podcast before, is the way that I actually got into coaching was I received a scholarship. And I, there was this breathwork coach and she was doing like a, I remember like four or five month program and we were messaging in the DMs and like, she sent me the price and I was like, oh, okay, like I could probably do that. And I thought it was the price for the whole program, but it was actually the price per month. Per month. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I almost like wanted to throw up. I was like, what? Like, are you? And she's like posting, like, it's almost like 80% sold out. There's two spots left. And I was like, what? Like, who are people paying? It blew my mind because I, yeah. I've never been in the coaching industry before. This was like early before 2020, I think. And I was just like, mm -hmm. what? Like, who the hell is paying for this? Like, what kind of, who the hell does she think she is? And I was like going through all these thoughts and like, I just thought it was insane, you know? And then I like, I like responded to her. I, honestly, I was like, oh, wow. I really thought that that was the whole price. Like, I, I really don't think I can afford that. And I was so honest. I was like, yeah. you know, and also having a Filipino mother and like who works her butt off to, you know, she's the only one that made it here from the Philippines. And she mm -hmm. sends like a percentage of her money to the Philippines. Like that's like a part of the 
you know, stereotype of like a Filipino, but it's pretty true. And I, I also heard growing up, like, that's too expensive. That's a lot. Like we're used to like going to Costco and like buying in bulk. So it's cheaper. Like that's yeah. like, any Filipino listening is probably like, mm, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it's just so funny. Like even like my mom still like she'll come here and I'm like showing her, like I'm getting off birth control right now. And I'm like getting these supplements and buying these books. And like, you know, I'm really talking about like regenerative agriculture and getting your meat from like, you know, where you source your meat from. And like, you know, it's, it's more expensive, but she's like, this just must be so expensive. And I'm like, mom, but like what you put in your body should be quality, not like cheap. If it's going to be cheap, you're going to look at, you have all these health problems. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyways, I could go on and on, but back to the um, mastermind group that I first joined. Um, it was so sweet. I don't know if she did this intentionally or if she just sent it to me, but like literally the price that I said I could afford, like a few days later, I got an email saying like whatever percent off scholarship. And it was like the price that I said I could afford. And I, I like take that to heart, whether she meant it for me or actually Mm -hmm. did it for her whole community. I was like, I said I could afford that. And like, maybe she just did that for me. And I'm like, and I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to do it. And like, I felt so, I sent an application. I filled out this whole thing. And I remember receiving the, you know, you got, you got it. And I was like, oh my God, I was so excited. And like, I've never been in a space like that before. And I always look back to her and I'm like, thank you so much. Like, I appreciate that so much. And and I remember the first call, like I was the only brown person. Like every there was like 20, 30 people in mm-hmm. this group program, and everyone yep. was white. And you know, from Europe and Australia as well. But I was just like, whoa, like I am the only brown person. And I'm just thinking, like, holy crap, all of these people easily could afford this. Like, maybe not easily, I don't want to assume that, but I was like thinking it was insane yeah. to spend that kind of money and and all of these people were just in it. And then I, I also heard going along that they were in mul- other programs and multiple programs and receiving this and receiving that and receiving. And I was like, what? Like, I just had no idea, you know? So yeah. I'm curious, like, how do we empower um, women of color, humans of color to be in these spaces, you know, with scholarships, but also like empowering them that like, you know, I think back then maybe I could have actually afforded it, but my mind didn't think I could, if right. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's such a beautiful story. I love that, you know, that scholarship opportunity was kind of your in to this whole experience, this whole industry. And then you started to build that trust with yourself, right? You're like, I did invest in myself. Yes, I got a scholarship, but it was like, it was still probably the most that you could invest at that time or that you could conceive of it investing. And you learned how to stretch yourself, right? So it just, I love your story because it highlights how much a scholarship can do for one person. Um, and that's so sweet that that coach did that. And she was integrity. It sounds like like her program actually really was full of lots of people. She wasn't just like BSing, oh, it's 80% full. It literally was. And she still offered you a scholarship or offered a scholarship. I think that's beautiful. Um, sorry, what did you just, what did you just ask me? I forget what the question was. <laughs> I think, oh yeah. So how do we like is it okay to give scholarships? I guess like for our listeners, like, is that appropriate? Is that okay? Like, and then also how can we empower them to like, I don't know, or can we, or is that just something they have to figure out? Like I had to figure out, you know, because I still Mm -hmm. have people in my DMs. Like I have a friend um, that I used to go to college with. She's Filipino. I'll just give this story because someone might resonate with this. And it reminds me of me in that moment because she said, I really want to work with you, but like, when I, when I become rich and get a lot of money, I'll, I'll, I'll hire you as a coach. And I'm just like, okay. Like I, I know what she's saying, but like, and then these, some of these people I see that they say don't have, they don't have any money. You see them going out to eat and like, you know, yeah. going to festivals and like, I, I know you have money, babe, you know, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's just, they yeah. don't see that that's valuable to spend money on. Right. But I'm like, I know you're getting a coffee every morning. You're drinking every morning, every, every weekend. Like that's a lot of money when you add all that up. Yeah. But I think at that place in my life before I thought the same thing, you know, I was mm. spending money every weekend, but not on things yeah. like a mastermind or a coach. 
Yeah, so sometimes, uh, definitely, yes. I think I have a whole post on like BIPOC scholarship, yay or nay. Are they empowering or offensive? <laughs> like, how do we offer them? How do we do it tastefully? So I have a whole post on my Instagram that breaks this down. But the short answer is yes, absolutely. I think they're so they're so needed. They're so meaningful. I've used you know used one multiple times, um, and so 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 appreciated it. Um, I've had them given to me like no questions asked, and it just feels so. Um, so awesome to be held like that and immediately like trusted by someone that you haven't even worked with yet but they're like yes like no questions asked you know here it's, it is pay what you can or pay this amount um and for those people who currently they think they don't have the money but they really probably could prioritize it i think that's just kind of their own journey to be on journey to be on um but perhaps like if you did say okay well i know um you know, I know how it is. I know there are real barriers that exist. I know everyone's financial situation is different. So here is some scholarships and, and still I would have like an application process um, because if someone's not even willing to fill out an application and take, you know, five minutes out of their day, they're not, are they really going to like show up and actually do the work? Um, probably not. And I would still also charge something I wouldn't let anyone in completely freaks. I do believe in energetic exchange and reciprocity. Um, but maybe if that person says, oh, okay, well, maybe on a scholarship, then I could see myself investing in myself in this type of thing that I'm brand new to. Maybe that is going to be, you know, like what happened to you where you got a taste of it and you saw the power of coaching and you saw the power of this industry and investing in yourself in that way and you learned it on your own so that scholarship you never know that might be somebody's um kind of ticket to entering this whole world and betting on themselves and investing in their own growth because it is it is a big thing especially um in in the global majority communities too is like we're all about community wellness and taking care of our family and taking care of others like you said your mother sends money to the philippines and that's like the, that's the values most of us are raised with. Like you don't, you don't focus all on your individual self, like personal development, self-help, self-growth. That's like very individualistic. Um, and so many of us are from cultures that don't value that. We value community and connection. But I think coaching and growing yourself actually can lead to beautiful connection, can lead to beautiful soul community. Um, if, if, coaches are willing to be in right relationship with each other, with clients. And I think offering different price points, decolonizing our pricing by offering like either a sliding scale, pay what you can, or a certain amount of scholarships. I think that's one way that we can all be in healthy, right relationship with one another. So yes, I'm a yes, big yes for scholarships. But I think also the energy with which you offer them, it matters. And if you're just offering scholarships and that's it you're not doing any other unlearning and decolonization work um, and understanding and leaning in and getting compassionate and hearing people's stories you're just doing it to do it you'll find that no one signs up still or they do and they just don't even finish your programs i mean that's because the infrastructure is not there in your business so that people of color and indigenous people can actually see themselves succeeding in your program and in your world. Because if we don't have self-belief, we just, we, I mean, coaches would call it self-sabotage. Like we just won't, we won't foot finish, we won't show up, right? But if you have a role to play in this too, if the infrastructure of your business is not there, where people feel represented, they feel safe, they feel seen, they feel supported, they feel like success is possible for them in your programs, then your completion rates are going to be a lot higher too. So yeah, it's not just the scholarship. There's a lot else that has to go with it. But like we've been talking about, it's like the smallest tweaks and taking the tiniest bit of time out of your day to acknowledge us, call us in by name and make room for us, um, you know, at your table, so to speak. I love that. Could you give a, an example of what you mean by call us in by name? Oh yeah, for sure. So um, for example, if you're marketing a program and you're, uh, so from my lens as an indigenous person, I've worked with many, many um, 
white mentors, many white female coaches over the last three plus years that I've been a coach and over the last 10 years that I've been in this world of personal development, law of attraction, all this stuff. And I didn't even notice truly, like I didn't even really notice, oh, my mentors are white. This whole industry is so white. Um, Cause I became very white. I became very assimilated and kind of like shut down my um, indigenous, like this whole huge part of me, um, even though I was born and raised on a First Nations reserve, like my family all still lives there. I have strong connections to the, to the community and the culture, but um, it just got easier to do life navigating white spaces. And so in the past, I wouldn't have even noticed this stuff, but once I realized, oh, there's this huge piece of me affecting my self-worth and it's related to my identity and it's related to the racism and the oppression and the trauma and all the things I've experienced for being indigenous and all the things my ancestors have experienced that I'm carrying with me. And then once I realized this was something I needed to heal, um, I noticed it was a lot harder to feel seen and supported in these spaces where I had previously just been basically acting like any other white woman. And now I notice, and I can't unsee it, that every single coach who's just like selling another program, another white woman selling a program, I'm like totally uninterested, unfazed, unless I see them speak to me and call me in by name. And I know that their program is gonna have at least an element of decolonization or anti-racism to it. So what I mean by call us in by name is like, say things like Latina, Latino friends, um, Asian friends, South Asian friends, indigenous friends, black friends, I see you, I wanna support you, I wanna do what I can to make sure this program is safe and supportive for all of us. These are the things we're gonna do to make sure um, that you're supported here. These are the things I have in place. I'm you know, always learning and growing, but like I, I want to call you in. I have a space here for you, or I have this scholarship here for you, or um, bringing in this guest speaker to help you specifically with the ancestral pain and the healing and the things that I, as a white woman, do not know how to address but want to make sure that you're supported. Something like that, like it's not that hard, it's just there's no mentioning of it. And so when there's no mentioning of it, like the silence is just upholding the, the idea that like white is just the default and that's just how it is. And I know it's just gonna be another space where nothing's being dismantled or talked about, um, even though it's being thought by, like you said, us, women of color and indigenous people. Um, so it's like a simple, yeah, it's the simple acknowledgement it comes back to the words piece of that mindset, words, and action. Decolonization is three piece. Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you so much for explaining that. And I think what comes up for me, and I'm sure this is maybe super real for a lot of other coaches as well, or white coaches is like this fear of like, you might say the wrong thing. Yeah. Right. So like what even came up for me, it was like, oh, like I would love, I'm thinking of this girl, a few women who have reached out to me and they're Asian. Like if I were to say, I have a, a scholarship for Asian women that are, that have never been in the coaching space before I have a scholarship for you. Would that be wrong? Like, I guess for me, I'm like, Ooh, would that be excluding black women or indigenous women if I'm just saying Asian women or do I do I have to say all women of color and indigenous you know what I mean like I'm like I but I guess my heart is like oh I really want to work with you know Filipinos specifically and Asian women because I don't see that in this space at all I mean there's like Simone yeah. Seal right yeah and like I yeah. don't know <laughs> yeah but I'm like then I'm like oh my god am I being racist you know what I mean like is that mm -hmm. bad no. so like I think that's what holds me back because I'm like I would love to empower them and I would love to you know so I'm I guess like what I think is if if a black woman saw that was like oh wow she's giving that to them and not me or like would and again I'm worried about what people think right so that's my own yeah. thing too but I guess just like how can we be as compassionate and open-hearted and in something like that? Yeah, that's such a good question. 
I think if you're passionate about it, you need to follow that. And um, like people do exclude people all the time. It's just not outwardly named. Like there are all white programs. There all there are all white yoga events. There are all white retreats. They're just not being called that. So what's wrong with saying I'm really passionate about uplifting other Asian women and I don't see enough of us represented in this industry. So I'm going to do my part in healing that there. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I've seen indigenous only programs for TikTok creators, um, you know, indigenous only writing programs and scholarship programs. And you don't see um, the black and brown community getting all mad and saying you're leaving us out because they understand sometimes yes we are all like those of us in the global majority or BIPOC or whatever you want to call us we do have um we do have a lot in common in that we share very similar oppression right we share very similar pain and and racism and being left out and being othered but we're not sometimes we do have unique needs we're not all you know, we shouldn't always all be lumped in to one thing, especially when someone like you has the the um, expertise and the the specialty to know like exactly, you know, exactly how their like Filipino mom is going to respond when they say that they're investing in themselves that other people won't get. And I think like if you put something like that out there, you'd have so many people because it's so specific be like, oh my God, thank you, Rave. I feel seen. This is amazing. And I think it would really do great things. I think it'd be beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was something I've been thinking about for a while. So maybe I will implement that and share that. But just to normalize, like, you know, where we are today, it definitely was a journey with money and our relationship with money and investing. Like, what did yeah. you hear growing up about money? Because like I mentioned, I'm like, going to Costco, that's too expensive. <laughs> like, yeah. You have to save. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're being a nurse so you can have a safe, secure, stable job. I'm like, what? Like, I grew up like hearing that from every auntie, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So taking a leap or a risk was like never like something no. we were taught to do. Never. No, no. So I grew up on a First Nations reserve. It's a Mohawk um, reservation in Southern Ontario. And it's very, um, it's a very isolated, small community as all reserves are. And um, so my dad's Mohawk. My mom is white, she's European settler, but she also grew up um, not super poor, but like they didn't have a lot of money. So she grew up with a lot of scarcity thoughts being projected onto her that she still, even though she has a good stable job, she's a teacher, she does well, like she still has a lot of those thoughts too. And my dad obviously being, you know, indigenous and having, uh, being in a community that had literally everything stripped from them to the point where they would even depend on um, the white government dropping off flour, sugar, milk I forget what it was they call them like the five white gifts to the reserve so that they could like basically it was like starve um we'll withhold your food if you don't listen to um uh, what we're doing which is taking your land and breaking another treaty and breaking another promise it's like just comply with that or your kids won't eat this week and we won't drop off the flour and the sugar and stuff from the stolen land that we've conquered um, that was yours anyways to live off of. So he grew up very poor um, and he's very still very much like hates to waste food, hates to waste anything, um, very careful about spending. He's, he's an entrepreneur though. So fortunately I get my entrepreneurial spirit from my dad and he's always supportive in my ventures. But um, yeah, the community as a whole, you hear like just in general, things are really, really cheap on the reserve. Like gas is cheaper. You know, there's cheap smokes. Not that any of us smoke, but in my family, but um, everything's cheap. Clothing's cheap, food's cheap, labor's cheaper. So you expect things to be cheap. And people say all the time, like, holy, that's expensive. Everything's expensive. Um, so it is really a, it is a deeply ingrained like cultural thing too. Um, to expect to be paid less because as, and this is a real, this is where we get into like real actual 3D barrier stuff too, um, not just mindset, like indigenous people 
people do expect to pay them less for their labor, for their work, for their services, right? There's there's still the wage gap from um, eight, like 80 cents to a dollar for women. That's for white women though. And then for indigenous, Latino women, women of color, it's 50 and 60 cents for every 80 cents that a woman makes. So like, yeah, artwork's supposed to be cheaper. Your labor's supposed to be cheaper. Everything you can't you can't charge like what I charge now for coaching and what I have charged for programs. It was, it was like, they would think I'm nuts if I told them. I don't even tell the people in my community what, you know, the kind of rates that I've charged. Um, but I also moved away from the reserve. I live in the city now and I find that that is a big thing that my energy does better here. And I feel like more things are possible when I'm here in the city versus if I were to live back home, I think I would get caught up in that, that mentality again of like, oh, everything has to be cheap. That's expensive. No one has money. No one can afford that because that is the reality there. So environment really does um, play a role. And I had to do a lot. Like I said, I've been in this world of personal development and mindset and all of this for 10 years. So I've had to do a lot of my own um, programming around it. And I think I'm more sensitive to the needs of indigenous people and people of color because of my own lived experience. Like I get it and real actual barriers exist and you're not crazy and it's not all in your head. And um, it's not just about energy and mindset. There are like real things we need to consider too. Beautiful, yeah. and. Maybe just to close out with one more topic is um, why is it so important to learn from women from different backgrounds? Like, I, I'm curious, like your thought on this, like for me, I think I, I don't know where this was from, but somebody said something like, look around at your friends who you're learning mm -hmm. from, the spaces you're in. And if everybody looks the same, you need to get new friends. <laughs> or something yeah. like that. I was like, dang, dang. Was like, all my friends are white. Oh my God. I love you so much. But why are all my friends white? And me and my boyfriend talk about this all the time. And he's white, you know? And he's like, man, yeah, why why are all of our people white? And, and it's something we really want to work on and be, you know, just putting that intention, that prayer out there um, to be more welcoming, more inviting, and to die diversify the activities we do as well but you know I think there's something to say about even the books we're reading yeah. and mm -hmm. our coaches because we're only getting one mind viewpoint if it's like all white people it's like coming from a viewpoint of privilege right yeah. so mm -hmm. that's something I'm trying to do more is like finding more books of people of color even just yeah. that simple thing but I'm curious for you like why do you think it's so important for us to learn from different backgrounds yeah, that's a great step with the books. It's it's everything to to learn from people with from you know from different backgrounds to expanding your friendship circle, um, you know, changing the people you like you said who you're reading, who you're whose books you're reading, who you're learning from, whose podcasts you're listening to, um, and who you're mentoring with. It's so important because we don't know what we don't know, right? And this is all of us. All of us have have to heal from the effects of colonization. Um, and it's been baked into all of us, all of us, including those of us um, in the global majority. And we, we don't know what we don't know. So if you're always just in circles where everyone looks and thinks like you, you're never going to disrupt and challenge your own thinking and learn anything new um, or see things from other people's perspective, which especially if you're in the coaching world, um, and you're in business of any kind, like it's so invaluable to have that different perspective. It's never going to make you an expert just because you have a more diverse group of friends, right? Whatever diverse even means. It's never going to make you an expert, but it's going to open your eyes to so much. And, and once you see some of these things, you can't unsee them. But when you're just stuck in your bubble, um, you're not going to grow and you're not going to learn new things and yeah you're you're just operating in the world that was built for you like literally um, all colonized countries were built for the comfort of European settlers how can we make sure that white people feel absolutely comfortable here safe here every single system was built for 
white people. Um, so you're not even going to notice if you're not, if you're not stepping outside of that, if you're not stepping outside of your own whiteness or looking at your own whiteness, um, it's not going to, it's not going to change and it's not good for any of us. Um, cause this is what the colonization did and what this culture created is this like hustle culture, this capitalistic culture, this go, 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 nothing's ever enough. You're not ever enough. And that's to keep you spending money, keep you buying things, um, keep you, keep you from doing your own waking up and realizing how unfair the system is, how messed up the system is. They don't, they want you too busy to even look at that. Um, and so it's, it's up to all of us as individuals to look at that. And yeah, one of the ways you can do that is by switching up who you're learning from, who you're listening to. And that's the crazy thing is too, it's even so baked into like the media, the books that become bestsellers that get the most, you know, press that get pushed out there the most. The, they have the, the most main money. <laughs> yeah. Like the people with the most money, the, the main characters in movies, like everything is so mm -hmm. Eurocentric. It's so white and we, we could go without even like realizing it because it's been like that our entire lives um and yeah. it's changing very 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 slowly but not enough I we noticed that in our own part in movies I'm like I like yeah. if there's like a movie or a show now and everyone's white I'm like what are what is this the 90s like what? literally I'm like, where is, why is there no, but then there are some shows where there's like a lot of di diversity. I'm like, oh, okay. They really like, you know, like the main people are people of color too. I'm like, but then yeah. when I see a show that's all white, I'm like, who is the director for the, oh yeah, it's a white man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is yeah. wild. I, I was telling my boyfriend this too, because I think like the best way one of the best ways you can really have empathy for others, you know, is mm -hmm. yeah. Like what we're saying, like simple things, books, podcasts, like supporting businesses, hire coaches of different backgrounds. Um, but this is like maybe a little off topic, but it's also like, I know you're dating someone that's, or you're married to someone, right. That's uh, a different it's background than you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, I joke with him because I'm like, all of his friends and quite a bit of mine too they're married or dating someone that's also white and I'm like babe like don't you think you've learned so much by being with me and then like I I've explained this to him and to others before but like I used to date someone who was half black and half white and I learned a lot by being with him like he used to like straighten his hair when he was younger and he would get made fun of for like mm. people would be like why are you dressing like a white guy? You're black. Like you should be more black. And he'd be like, what? Like I'm black and white. And like hearing those stories of what he went through literally made me so freaking angry and like have so like for the way people tr treated him, like, how could you, you know? And it made me understand him and have so much more empathy for black people and for him. And I just, it didn't, when you really love someone and you date someone and you hear their stories, you like, you really have this empathy for that culture and that background because you understand from a whole other level. And mm -hmm. a few of my friends have become single and I like joke, I joke around. I'm like, don't date someone that's different. That doesn't look like you. <laughs> I'm like, don't date someone that looks like your brother. Come on. <laughs> yes. Yes. And also like, don't. <laughs> Yeah. Don't like expect that because this, and I know you're not doing this, but a lot of white women expect that to be like, their, like, that's their cop out. Like I'm not racist. I'm my husband's Hispanic or I dated a black person yes. or like, don't expect oh them to teach you about your whiteness. Cause that's your job and your job only mm -hmm. to unravel and do that. Um, that's, I just wanted to like throw that in there. Cause that happens that's too. So true. Um, and yeah, there's yes. a really good like documentary. Um, it's called Deconstructing Karen um, by Syra Rao and Regina Jackson. And it's a conversation. It's a dinner conversation with um, a black woman and a South Asian woman who teach about anti-racism to white women specifically. And then a bunch of white women, they sit down and have dinner and talk about race. And some of the things that come out of these white women's <laughs> mouth is just like, 
uh, it's so frustrating. But then the way that Syrah and Regina put them in their place is like, oh, it's gold. It's so good. And Aww. I think it's a very health, like everyone learns a lot by the end of it and they unpack a lot and it's just, it's really good. So everyone should try to watch that if they can. Yeah. And it, this work is so uncomfortable, you know, and it's, it's yeah. triggering and I'm sure whoever's listening right now has felt a little uncomfortable or felt triggered and just want to reflect that that's just so normal. And I know that comes up for me too, you know, especially yeah. being half, I'm like, I like mm -hmm. can feel both ways and I, I understand and it's, it's not Same. easy. Cause like I said earlier, I'm like, Ooh, am I saying the wrong thing? Am I like yeah. bringing this up? Am I like going to get like shamed or canceled for this? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's, I, I wanted to touch on that too quickly. It's the fear of saying the wrong thing. Cause I hear that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And what I say, frankly, is like, first I hear you, I get it. I'm halfway and my passing I probably have said the wrong thing. I, I will say the wrong thing because I can never mm -hmm. know what it's like to be a black or brown person or be in a black and brown body, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And also, <laughs> if your greatest fear is that you're going to be called performative or you're going to be, you know, called out for doing, saying something wrong, like, frankly, we, I've been called worse as an Indigenous person. I've been called an alcoholic. I've been called lazy. I've been called useless to society, like black people have been called worse, brown people have been called worse. If your worst fear is being called performative or being told that you didn't say something properly and you're not nice, like get over it. Cause there's just bigger yeah. issues at play. There's much bigger issues at play. And for me and for like people in our community, when we say something, um, there's actual safety on the line. There's a fear of I'm not physically safe, but you in a white privileged body, don't have that. Your worst fear is not being liked on the internet. It's being called mean. It's being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like get over it, frankly, because there's just, there's so much more at stake. And, and this, this toxic, like colonial culture, it really harms all of us, not just people in the global majority, but hopefully you care about your fellow humans in the global majority enough to put your own comfort aside and, and say something. Cause it's not the people with it's not people um, who are oppressed who are going to end oppression. It's people with privilege and power. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. You nailed that. Cause I I've mentioned that before too, in conversations like, yeah, we need more white people to be by our side, you know, especially because they do yeah. have the privilege and they might have more money and they, you know, all of that. And they have the voice or the platforms right and it, yeah. it brings me back to the whole uh, will smith thing that happened how he was like on stage and slapped that guy or whatever because of what he said about his wife um i remember like i love glennon doyle i have her books i like listen to her podcast but she like put something on social media and got like a bunch of uproar i don't know if you remember seeing this I didn't and then elaine <laughs> okay it's so good <laughs> elaine i forgot her name what her name is beautiful black woman elaine some i don't know her last name i think i follow her on instagram but she is also um very well known in media and stuff like that and she commented on glennon doyle's post and was like this is your time to like listen to black people right now and like it's so true because like everybody, if Glennon Doyle has this huge platform and you go to her and you say, what is, she, I think unconsciously, we go, what does she say about this? Like, you know, yeah. she's the thought leader and she's a writer and she's very well known. What does she think about this? And here she is saying, oh, violence is never okay. Da, 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 da. And, you know, I get that viewpoint, but like, I loved that Elaine said that and was like, this is not your time. You know, this is your time to listen and your time to like yeah. give black people a platform to speak about this right now and hear about what they think about it. And, yeah. um, and then Glenn Doll responded and she was like, you're right. Like, this is my time to listen. And which I think is so amazing. She's an yeah. example to other white women. I'm like, versus her getting all like starting a fight or something like that. Yeah. And I thought that was so powerful because it's like, she's setting this example for other white women and it really is like, here, let's give the microphone to Elaine right now. What does she have to say about this? Yeah. And like going back to like having, you know, diverse spaces that we're in, it's like hearing other people's opinion about things. It's like, I'm mm -hmm. so, I, I, like, I always notice that like, 
in at least in some of my group of friends, like very a lot of white people have a lot to say when I'm like, this isn't your experience. <laughs> Let's like be quiet for a yeah. second and hear what somebody else has to say, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, I think that's just so important. And I think I have to remind myself of that too, is like, okay, let's pause and let's listen to someone else who has this ex- life experience that I don't, you know, and I'll never yeah. really understand. Yeah. That's the other thing too, is if you don't know what to say, like, great, just pass the mic, use your platform and invite someone on who does know what to say, mm, yeah. who is an indigenous person, who is a person of color, like just pass the mic. You don't always have to be the authority, the expert on everything. Yeah. We have this like idea that's so baked into and indoctrinated um, into white people that they, <laughs> their voice matters above all else. And that we have to be experts on everything. No, just, yeah. Also no one to pass the mic. I think you said that in your workshop that we don't have privilege that runs through us. And that really stood out to me. I was like, wow, like the whole, like being in a group space. And like, I know in the mastermind yeah. we were in, I'm not the one to go first. I'm not usually the one to raise my hand. Yeah, And that's because I don't feel like I have that privilege that doesn't run through my DNA. Whereas like a white person, yeah. they have that privilege, right? Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, the white entitlement. <laughs> Actually, my yeah. shout out to my mentor currently right now, Asha Frost. She taught me this concept of white entitlement. And she was like, well, yeah, like white, she's an indigenous um, mentor. She was like, white people have literally entitlement of taking up space and taking taking what they want. It literally runs in their DNA. Like their ancestors knew how to take up space. They took what was theirs and then some lots, things that aren't theirs. It's in that they know how to, so when, when a mentor says like, yeah, just jump in when you want support or like, just believe in yourself, you're worth it. You can take up space, you can charge this, charge your worth, make it happen. You can see white women take that and run with it and they thrive and they do amazing. But for those of us who don't have that entitlement in our DNA, we have trauma and oppression and being told you're not physically even worthy of living because of the genocide and um, the land theft Mm -hmm. and the cultural theft and the stripping away of our spirits. Like literally that's what's in our DNA. So of course we have more layers to work through before we can step into that health, healthy entitlement. Cause it's not entitlement in a bad way necessarily. Entitlement can be a good thing, but it's um, finding that healthy sense of entitlement. And I think that's something really important for white coaches to understand is that your, your students, your clients who are not white um, or who are mixed race, they, they won't have the same ability to step into that that you do. Um, and that's your job to lean in with compassion, to invite them to explore that and to bring in people who can support that um, better wherever you can. Because it's a huge, it's a huge piece. We can't move forward without it. I love that. Even just such a simple thing as instead of just, oh, whoever wants to go, just jump on in. Because <laughs> I, yes, I, I hate that. that. <laughs> it makes my skin crawl. I'm like, no. And then I end Same. up like being last or not going at all. Not going. I'm like, oh God. And then I feel bad about it. I'm like, why can't I just like, you know, be the one yeah. that you know inserts myself and I don't like doing that. And I think something that I've been trying to implement more is um, just calling on people. And if you don't want to go, that's fine. Like just say, yeah. you know, pass or whatever. But um, yeah. even though it is kind of like, oh, my name's being called. I think that's, I've noticed in my groups that that seems to go over a little bit more where they yeah. have that invitation, right? Yeah. Yeah, the one I'm in now, it's like a circle and she'll just go by what order we appear on her screen. So we can't see when we're next, but it's kind of good because then you're not sitting there thinking about like, when am I going to be able to jump it? When am I going to get my turn? You're just listening and you're actually, it's more like a circle where you're actually giving other people their turn, calmly knowing you are going to get a turn on this call. You can relax and you don't have to like fight to get your money's worth or like fight to get your time because you know that coach is going to sit in healthy circle with you and you're all going to get your chance to speak it's so much better yeah I love that wow this conversation (laughs) was so powerful and again if you're feeling triggered if you're feeling like this is a little uncomfortable I think that's good because I think throughout this conversation too I have felt that and that's completely normal and I think that's a part of doing the work right oh yeah I trigger people every day in my world so (laughs) (laughs) 
if you're feeling I triggered, just lean into that. I invite it's an invitation to lean closer. It's not a push, it's not a separation, it's not a pushing you away, it's not hate, it's an invitation to lean closer and to lean in with love. Yeah, and being willing to hear, like, hey, maybe you could do it this way instead, or some criticism, you know, and just coming in always with an open mind and open heart. And mm-hmm. how can we just ultimately have more compassion for each other? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So how can people find you and work with you? You want to share oh. your Instagram or yeah. what's the best way for people to find you? Sure. Thank you. Um, I'm over on Instagram at Emily Ann Brandt and it's Ann with an E. Um, and my website's emilyannbrandt.com, but really like most of my stuff's on Instagram. So that's probably the best way to connect with me if you're on there. And if not, then yeah, there's the website or there's my podcast, the Soul's Way podcast. I'll make sure this episode goes up on there as well. And um, Rave, if you want to share your links, I'll, I'll also put them on my podcast too. Perfect. Yeah. The best way to reach me and see what I'm offering right now is just at my Instagram at rave, R-A-V-E underscore read, R-E-I-D. So yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. you. Even though you're feeling a little under the weather, this conversation (laughs) was like, boom, powerful, potent, everything it needed to be. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for being willing to have it with me. Thanks again so much for being here. It really does mean the world. And one way that you can thank me, that you can thank any podcaster, if you get any value from my medicine, from my shares, from anything our guests have shared, the biggest way you can thank a podcaster is by sharing. So take a screenshot, tag me at Emily Ann Brandt on your Instagram stories. I'll be sure to reshare and thank you. And better yet, if you have just a minute, take a minute leave a review or even tap and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It means the world. It helps us reach more people and get this medicine out there. Thank you again for being here. Please hang out with me on Instagram or come join our Facebook group, The Soul's Way. I'll talk to you next time. Love and gratitude.